This is weird. You ever realize Captain Crunch's eyebrows are actually on his hat? That's what's weird? Joey, the man's been captain of a cereal for the last 40 years. <laughs> oh, look. What? The spoon. You licked and, and you put? <laughs> you licked and you put? Yeah, so? Well, don't you see how gross that is? I mean, that's like you're using my toothbrush. <laughs> you use my toothbrush? Well, that was only because I used the red one to unclog the drain. Mine is the red one. Can open worms everywhere? Hey, why can't we use the same toothbrush, but we can use the same soap? Because soap is soap. It's self-cleaning. All right, well, next time you take a shower, think about the last thing I wash and the first thing you wash. Hey, hey. Hey, listen, I'm sorry about what... Yeah, happened. me too. I, I know. know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so do we need to hug here, or...? No, we're all right. Yeah, we're... Yeah. So I got you something. Plastic spoons. <laughs> great. Lick away, my man. These will go great in my new place. You know, until I get real ones. What? Well, I can't use these forever. I mean, let's face it, they're no friend of the environment. <laughs> no, I mean, what? what's this about your new place? I'm moving out, like we talked about. Well, I didn't think that was serious. <laughs> you know, I thought that was just a fight. Well, it was a fight. Based on serious stuff, remember? About how I never lived alone or anything? I just think it'd be good for me, you know, help me to grow or... whatever. Well, there you go. Hey, let's bring the rest of these down to the truck. Thanks. So, uh, <clears throat> you want me to uh, give you a hand with the foosball table? Nah, you keep it. You need to practice. Thanks. So, I guess this is it. Yeah, right, yeah, I guess yeah. so. Hey, listen, uh, I don't know when I'm gonna see you again. Well, I'm guessing uh, tonight at the coffee house. Right, yeah, <laughs> okay. Uh, take care. Yeah. Well, friendships, relationships can be messy sometimes. They can be difficult. They can be complicated. They can be hurtful. Sometimes in friendships, you may not even know where you stand, so it's maybe difficult to know how to respond to the other person. Relationships can be messy. When I think about the friends that I've had in my life and the things that that's happened in those friendships, the good things and the bad. I think of friends who have lied to me, friends who have lied about me, 
friends who have let me down, friends who have hurt me, friends who have betrayed me, friends who have shot me with a BB gun, (laughs) friends who borrowed my car and scratched it really bad, friends who got in trouble and blamed it all on me, friends who stole my girlfriend in the seventh grade. Relationships can really get messy, but a life lived without close, interconnected relationships, friendships, is no life at all. That's why God wants every person to experience friendship. Every person, God desires for them to experience what it's like to be in close relationship with another person. That's why we talk about community groups and life groups and getting plugged into a service team. So much on Sunday morning, we bring that up because the value that you'll get from investing your life in a relationship. Life just works better when you're doing it in the context of community and relationship with other people. A life lived without close, or life lived with close friendships and a connected life with other human beings is just a better life. Proverbs 27 verse 9 says this, The pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. Today we're in the last part of a series called Image is Everything. And we spent some time talking about how some people, many people, have some destructive images of God and what he's like and the way he interacts with humans. So I spent some time talking about those destructive images and how we can get those out of our lives. And then we transitioned into talking about constructive images and how we can just relate to God and each other better when we embrace those constructive images because our image of God is important. Our image of God determines a lot. It determines how we see ourselves. Our image of God determines how we see others and treat others. Our image of God determines how we live our life. And today in this last installment, I'm talking about what I think is one of, if not the most important constructive image that you could embrace. As I've started to talk about constructive images of God, I've talked about how Jesus Christ came to earth to erase the destructive images that mankind had built up over centuries and show people the heart of God. That was his job on earth, is to show mankind the heart of God. So when Jesus went around teaching and preaching and sharing and healing and spending time with other people, he would say things like, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. Later on, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the exact representation of God. So if you want to know what God looks like, if you want to know what God acts like, how God feels, how he reacts with humans then read in the Bible, there's four books called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they talk about the life of Jesus Christ, who was here to reveal the heart of God. And he said, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. And since he's the exact representation, when we want to get a proper image of God, we need to read what Jesus had to say. The next image I want to talk about is found in the book of Luke, chapter 11. As Jesus' disciples followed him around, 
For three years, they watched him teach. They watched him preach. They watched him heal. They watched him confront people who needed to change their lifestyle. They watched people gossip about him. They watched him invite little children up onto his lap. They watched people pulling on him day after day, and they watched his busyness. They watched how people just came to him day after day after day, and there never seemed to be enough hours in the day to take care of all the people who were coming to Jesus. And as the disciples watched his full schedule, as they watched his busyness, they noticed there was something different. Because he wasn't freaking out all the time. He wasn't worried about his schedule. Somehow he dealt with worry in a different way. He dealt with stress in a different way. And he knew what was going to happen. And they began to notice there's something different about him. Because he, he prays all the time. No matter what's going on, no matter how busy things are, Jesus seems to have time to pray. And when he does pray, he communicates in a really different way. He seems to be in one-on-one communication with God, like he is literally sitting beside God in heaven, having a conversation with him. He's busy, yet he never gets stressed. He's tired, but he always has enough strength. So the disciples finally say, one of you has got to go ask him how he does that. So I can see them in a conversation by themselves. And, and so they nominate who gets to ask him. And they notice, well, he prays all the time. So somebody go ask him how to pray. So finally, one of them got up the nerve to say, Jesus, teach us how to pray like you pray. Because they were saying, we want that kind of communication with God. I mean, don't you? I want that. I want to learn how to communicate with God better. I want to learn how to communicate with a God who is you, you can't see and touch and a God who sometimes feels very distant. And Jesus teaches us how real prayer should be, how real communication should be. And he's getting ready to tell his disciples, I'm going to change your image. You think prayer and communication with God is one thing? You think that when you pray, your prayers just go to the ceiling and that's where they stay? You think it's just something that's in your, your heart or your head? No, he's getting ready to tell them, you want what I've got? Then do this. You want the peace I've got? Jesus says, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. Now, Jesus is not giving this formula. I don't think they were sitting around with their pen and paper saying, okay, do that and then say that and then say that. He's not giving this formula that, okay, say these same words that I'm saying. He's trying to portray to them an attitude, a way to approach God in heaven. He's trying to get them to understand this is how you can have that same kind of relationship that you're watching me have. It's not a formula. It's not about step one, two, three. It's a way he is communicating with the Father in heaven. And Jesus senses these guys aren't getting it. They're not understanding what he's talking about. So he tells them a story. 
Which brings us to our next constructive image of God, and that is God as a late night friend. And he tells him this story. Luke chapter 11, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine is on a journey and has come to me and I have nothing set before him. Jesus could have used any image he wanted to, but he chose to use an image of God as a friend. A friend that you can wake up in the middle of the night. A friend you can go to and say, I'm in a mess. I've got a problem. We've got to talk. A friend you can call up any hour of the night and they'll be there for you. So that's what's going on in this story. This guy was going to his friend's door and he was knocking. And he kept knocking. And he kept knocking. And the friend kept thinking, okay, I'm just going to ignore it. He'll go away. He'll leave. But he kept not, He kept calling back over and over. He was persistent. And in those days, when, in the context in which Jesus was telling this story, everybody lived in one house, in one room. So at night, it was a big deal to get everybody in bed. And when everybody finally got in bed and finally got to sleep, they're usually up on the second floor because the first floor is reserved for all the animals. So all the sheep the donkeys, the chickens, the geese, whatever else they have is down there asleep. And the guy finally gets all of them asleep, gets upstairs, gets all the kids to sleep, and then comes somebody knocking at the door. So it wasn't just like one person got up. The whole house got up. And he kept knocking and knocking. And finally, because of the boldness of his friend, because of the boldness He got up and he said, take the bread, come and get it. It's okay. What's that got to do with us? What's that got to do with God? Well, Jesus is trying to get us to understand that just like this guy went to his friend in the middle of the night, he's trying to get us to understand that God is that friend and we can go to him any time we're in need. In fact, he wants us to come to him. He wants us to be persistent. He wants us to be bold. Jesus said in Luke 11 verses 9 and 10, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be open. As my late night friend, God wants to do a few things in my life. He wants me to understand a few things about this friendship that he wants with us. God wants to answer me, but God wants me to ask. In fact, he says, keep on asking. Just just keep asking me. Be persistent. Keep knocking. Keep seeking. Keep searching. Just ask. You might think, great, does that mean I can get the Hummer? Does that mean I can get the vacation house I've been praying for? Because I've been praying for a raise, and I've been praying for a new house, and and I've been praying for a new car, and, and wow, so God says, if I just keep on asking, if I just keep on praying, if I just stay persistent, then all those things are going to show up in my driveway, in my house, in my life. My bank account's going to change. It's not what he's talking about. The context of this whole passage is they are observing this peace and strength that Jesus has. And they're saying, how can we get that? How can we have some of that? 
Could you use a little peace today? Could you use some strength in your life to get past the tough spots? God says, all you have to do is ask, and I'll provide. He says, seek, find, and knock, and the door will be open. All you have to do is ask. God wants to answer. So ask yourself the question, do I need peace? Do I need strength? Have I asked? Maybe you have. Maybe you've said, God, I need peace in my life. I need strength in my life. And and maybe you don't feel it. Well, my question would be, have you changed anything about your life? You're asking God. You're seeking. You're knocking. You're opening the door saying, God, I need these things in my life. But have you changed anything about your life? Because God will never give you peace in a life that chews you up. God will never give you peace in a life that destroys your relationships, your health, your marriage. I hope he never gives anybody peace in those things. So if you're praying, God, give me peace. God, give me peace. I just gotta, I've got to get through this. This has got to lighten up. It's got to be easier. You've got to change some things about your life because maybe the reason peace isn't there is because God's trying to show you this is an area where you need to have peace. And if you don't have it, and you've prayed for it, and you haven't changed anything about your life, maybe it's time to change something. Maybe it's time to do something different. Maybe it's time to be bold and take some action. Because God doesn't want anybody to have peace in a life that destroys everything around them. Nobody. And may he never let you or me have peace. When the way we live and the speed at which we live is just destroying everything around us. May you never feel peace in that. God also wants to be available, but he wants me to be confident. God says, I'm there for you when you need it. I'll come to you. I'll rescue you. But you need to ask me with confidence. You need to come before me with boldness and confidence, just like that guy thought, this is my friend. I can wake him up in the middle of the night, and if I keep asking, I know he's going to bring some bread. I know it's waking up the kids and the chickens and the geese and all that stuff, but he's my friend, and he's going to bring me some bread. And God says, that is the same confidence I want you to approach me with. If you're taking notes, write this down. Without prayer, without communication with God, I will always do less than I could do, I will always gain less than I could gain, and I will always be less than I could be. So whatever you do to communicate with God, maybe you don't know how. Maybe you're thinking, I don't know how to pray. If you said pray, I wouldn't know what to say. Maybe you you pray by writing your prayers down. That's an effective way to pray. Maybe you pray by just thinking about it. Maybe you pray by praying out loud. But God says, whatever you do, communicate with me. Jesus is telling them, You need to change your image of a God who is far off and distant to a God who is your friend. That you can approach with confidence. You know, too many people, and and I've done this in my life, we we pray like this. We'll we'll pray like, God, if you, God, if you, maybe God, if you could, could just possibly, and, and God, I just, and we stutter and think, God, if you could just, Maybe give me a little bit of this. Or God, 
if this is your will, or God, if this, or if that. And God says, approach me with boldness. How would you feel if your child came to you and said, Father, thou who doth feed me and clothe me, provide food for thy stomach and a warm place to lay my head at night. Father, I beseech you this day, would you please lend me the keys to your automobile? You would say, what are they drinking? (laughs) What have our kids been doing? What are they smoking? There's something wrong with our kids. No, you don't, your kids don't communicate with you like that if you're somewhat normal. And God doesn't expect us to communicate with him in some high and mighty language and come to him in a sheepish way that's like, God, if you could, and God, I don't mean to bug you. I don't mean to, to mess up your time, God, but I, I, I really got a problem. And whew, God, I'm nervous. I don't, I don't know what to say. And, and God, maybe. That's not what the Bible says at all. Nobody approached him like that. And he's trying to say, approach me like you would approach your best friend with confidence. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it says this. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it. So the issue doesn't lie with the one who waits to answer. But with the one who hesitates to approach a God that says, I want to be your friend. I want to give you what you ask for. You want peace. You want strength. I long to give it to you. Keep knocking. Keep searching. Keep asking. God also, as my friend, wants to be real to me. But he wants me to be real with him. You know, God God already knows everything, in case you didn't know that. He already knows what your needs are. He already knows when your life's a mess. He knows what's inside of here more more than even you do. But how pleased he is when you approach him as if he's your friend. And share the things in your life when you approach him with realness. You know, I know things that are going on in my kid's life, and I can confront them about that, and I can ask them about that, but when they come to me first, when they they come to me, even if it's something I know, and they come to me and they want to talk about it, and they initiate a conversation about something, those of you with kids, think about how much more that means when your child comes and they want to talk about something. You You may already know it, but they want to talk. That's how God wants to be with us. He wants us to approach him with realness, with an open heart, as if we would approach a friend that we had no reservations about, a friend that we knew we could share anything with. We wouldn't be judged. We wouldn't be hurt. We wouldn't be betrayed. That's how God wants us to see. God wants us to see him as someone we can sit down at the table with and have a conversation. There's a story about an old man living in a nursing home that I've heard it in many different versions, but the story is that this old man was in a nursing home and his daughter would come and see him every day. She would come by and pray with her dad. She would come by and talk to her dad and laugh, but her dad was terminally ill. He had cancer. And, and he just wasn't going to live a long time. So one day she called up the pastor of her church and she said, can you come 
and, and visit my dad. Could you just go by and see him and, and just pray with him? Because I don't think he's got a lot of time left. And the pastor said, I would love to. So the pastor goes by the nursing home and he walks in the room and the old man is propped up in the bed with pillows behind him and there's a chair sitting right beside of him. So the pastor assumes, well, that must be for me. And he said, are you, you know, I see you got a chair for me. Are you expecting me? And the old man said, I don't even know who you are. And he said, what's that chair for? And why are you up there right next to that chair? The old man said, have a seat and let me tell you a story. He said, many years ago, I didn't know how to pray. Many years ago, I had a friend who knew how to pray, and I asked that friend, how do you have this prayer life that seems so rich and real and alive? The old man said, my, my friend just told me all he did was get a chair and sit it down right in front of him and just imagine that Jesus was just sitting there, that God was just sitting there, and they were just having a conversation like two friends talking. And the pastor encouraged him and said, that's a great concept. That's a, can, can I share that with people? And the old man said, yes. And the pastor prayed with the old man and he left. A few days later, the pastor called up the woman who had wanted, her to visit, wanted him to visit her dad. And, and he said, how's your dad doing? And she said, well, he died this morning. And the pastor said, well, did, did he, was it peaceful? Did he go in peace? Did he get to say any last words? And she said, oh, yeah, the night before I left, we laughed and we talked and he told his corny jokes and he kissed me on the forehead. He told me how proud he was of me and how much he loved me. And then I went home. And the next day when I came back, he had died. And she said, you know, pastor, I, I stood with the nurses and the doctors trying to figure out something. And the pastor said, what's that? And she said, well, when they found him, when we went into the room and found him, he was just leaned over with his head on the chair next to his bed. What an image of God. What a way to see God as a friend. That when life gets tough, when things get stressed, when health gives out, when relationships give out, that he's somebody so real we can just look right next to us and if need be just lay our head right over into his lap. That's real. That is how God wants to be to each one of us. Not a God who's like a all-you-can-eat buffet where you can just go by and pick off the parts you want and leave the parts you don't want. Not a God who sits up there like a talent show judge just giving us good marks and bad marks and judging us harshly when we mess up. But a God who says, I want to be your friend. Not a God we approach with if. Not a God we approach and say, if you will, but because. Because of his grace, because of his goodness, because of his mercy. So when we go before him, even in the middle of the night, and ask, he'll always get up and he'll always answer.